while I was on vacation one summer with my family, I read a word in the Bible that quickly took up residence in my heart. To be honest, I didn't quite know what to do with it when I first read it. It's only one word, and it's not a very big word at that. It would be easy to miss if you were reading the Bible quickly, like we sometimes do. But there it was, and I didn't have a, a hook to hang it on. I didn't have a category to file it under. It was a mysterious word in a, in a rather mysterious passage of Scripture. And that passage is Mark chapter 7, verses 32 to 35. So if you're in grade 4 or grade 5 and you've got an activity sheet, there's a spot for that. Reference, Mark. I see some of them are going, oh man, I don't have a pen. <laughs> Ask your mom or your dad, they'll give you a pen. Jesus and his disciples had been out in the countryside teaching and doing what Jesus does best, meeting the needs of the people they encountered. And in Mark 7:32, the Bible says, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Uh, I told you it was mysterious. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So Jesus is introduced to a man who's deaf and has a speech impediment. Perhaps he stammered. Perhaps he spoke with a lisp. We don't know. We're not told. Perhaps because of his deafness, he never learned how to properly pronounce his words. But again, we don't know. We're not told in Scripture. But Jesus refused to exploit the situation. The text says that he, he took this man apart privately. So just the two of them could be there. He didn't want to embarrass him or put him on display. And he explained, I suspect, what he was about to do, probably through gestures, because remember, the guy is deaf. So he's explaining through, through gestures. And he, he spit on his fingers and then touched the man's tongue explaining through gestures that his tongue was about to be released from whatever was binding it. And then he touched the man's ears, for they were, for the first time, were about to hear those ears. But before the man could say a word or hear a sound, Jesus did something that we never would have anticipated. He sighed. Mark 7, 34. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephtha, that is, be opened. Now, I might have expected a clap or a, a song or even a prayer, 
Maybe even this would be a great time for a teaching moment. You know, pastors are great for that. Oh, I think this is a good teaching moment. Let me step into this and speak into your life, whatever that means. That would have been a good moment for that, but our Savior does none of those things. Instead, he, he paused, he looked up to heaven, and he sighed. There was just such a, a deep, rich rush of emotion that welled up inside of him that couldn't even be expressed, and so he just sighed. One author writes, I'd never thought of God as one who sighs. I'd thought of God as one who commands. I thought of God as one who weeps. I'd thought of God as one who called forth the dead with a command or created the universe with a word, but a God who sighs? Not so much. I do my share of sighing, too. I sighed two weeks ago when I listened to a woman describe to me how bad her marriage was. I sighed again two days ago when I conducted the funeral for Carmelo Rustico and we laid him to rest. I sighed. That was hard. And no doubt you've, you've done some sighing too. If you have teenagers in your family, you've sighed a time or two every day. <laughs> if you tried to resist temptation, you've probably sighed. If you've ever had your motives questioned by someone you love or someone you respect or someone you work for, you've sighed. But that isn't the sigh described in Mark chapter 7. This sigh is, is, a, is a hybrid of, of frustration and sadness. This sigh is, is somewhere between a fit of anger and a burst of tears. When, when Jesus looked into the eyes of this man, the only appropriate thing for him to do was to sigh. It's like, it was never intended to be this way, the sigh said. Your, your tongue was never meant to be still. Your ears were never meant to be stopped up. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And so the, the imbalance of it all caused the, the master to be, to, to languish, just to, to sigh. But in the agony of Jesus lies our hope. In the agony of Jesus lies our hope. Had he not sighed, had he not felt the burden for what was not intended, we would be in very bad shape. Had he simply chalked it all up to, to the inevitable or washed his hands of the whole stinking mess, what hope would we have? But he didn't. That, that holy sigh assures us that God still groans for his people. He groans for the day when all sighs will cease. He groans for the day when all mourning and death and crying and pain will be over. He, he sighs, he groans for the day then what, that what was 
intended to be will be. That'll be a great day. When everything God intended to be will be. Even so, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> now that I'm over 30, I look forward to that every day. Well over 30. Yeah, but isn't it true? And so we sigh for what could be, for what should be. And he still sighs for us, for you, for me, for your children, for your grandchildren. Gregoria, he sighs over you this morning in your deep grief. We love you. We're so glad you're here this morning on the cusp of your husband's funeral. God bless you. He still sighs for us. Praise God. Amen? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Dear, dear Heavenly Father, I never, ever, ever, ever get tired of hearing that God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Lavished. That we should be called children of God. And yet, that is what we are. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you for a rich, meaningful, personal demonstration of your love. And now as we move toward a celebration of communion, would you make your presence real to us in this bread and in this cup? We often think of this as a means of grace, as a way in which the grace of God is communicated to us in a very special way. And so we come, we come in holy, reverent fear to celebrate in this table today. We are ready for you to meet us here. And we are ready to declare that the one who still sighs for us is the only true God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.